on to the dogs, your fortnightly dose of greyhound racing interviews, insights and a whole lot more with your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode 20 of Gone to the Dogs. As always, I'm Danny Jackson and my co-pilot is... Joe Andrews. Hello, everyone. Hello, Danny. Did you have a nice refreshing break last week? I did, yeah. I went to Tormelinos and basically did nothing. Then went to see Jack Whitehall and uh, Muse as well. So had to recover for that on Saturday. But the reason why we've not been on uh, the airwaves for a while is I've had loads going on. So basically, at the moment, I'm in a Fiat 500 that is driving me bonkers trying to drive anywhere because I go to the pen, I go over the Pennines, I do all sorts of stuff like that, and it barely gets me over because someone sideswiped my car when it was parked outside my house. But not only that, 10 days later, Cliff's car had the same thing and he's has been totaled. So we've got two cars that we don't own that are rentals at the moment. And to add insult to injury, my rental car broke down on me two oh, weeks no. ago. Yeah, I was on the way to the station. So I was like, give me another car. I don't so think I'm it's in another the car. It sounds like it could be you, actually. I think I'm a bit of a jinx. Yeah. 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 So hopefully I get mine back by the time this podcast is aired on Friday. But uh, I'm not holding my breath at the moment. Well, fingers crossed. Well, it's been a busy month. I was on holiday as well. And then I was away with work the week after. Then you went away. And it's just one of those things, you know, we uh, we can't guarantee that it's going to be every fortnight, although we do try our best. But um, hopefully we've got another great episode in store today for, for everyone. And we will be back hopefully in two weeks after this. Fingers crossed. Well, no, we will. We will be back. Um, we've got, of course, coming up on the show, racing manager Dave Gray that most people will be familiar with. He does appear on Racing Post Greyhound TV, also commentates on Sky Sports as well. And we'll be chatting Romford with Romford Ryan in the betting segment too. So all of that uh, to look forward to on the show. And we've got to talk about all the winners that we've uh, not had a chance Loads. to air. So yeah. go for it, Joe. Well, we've had loads of impressive winners, really great stuff in the ground world in the last four weeks. Um, the most impressive, in my opinion, has to be Droopy's clue in the St. Ledger. Broke the track record. He got away and, you know, what a performance, breathtaking. Mm. He was he was absolutely amazing in the juvenile classic at Toaster um, there. And, you know, it was a flawless campaign in the St. Ledger and fair play to him and Connections. You know, what an exciting dog. Just brilliant. Just a brilliant run. I don't know what else to say about it. There's not really much else he can say, is there? And I was there for the semis because I went to Perry Bar for the semifinals and he was just sensational. Um, and and Cliff had took my other half and he was like, so who do we back in this? I said, well, we can't possibly back Droopy's Clue. He's so short. Let's put the forecast in. So I got the forecast in that race. It paid about three quid, but we got the forecast. Because you know, to kick off the... Got to do a bit of that, haven't we? Got a bit of that. (laughs) And uh, you know my most successful race on that night, Joe? Which one? The D3 sprint at the end where I got the TriCast. Well, don't blind me. What did that pay? Uh, 30 quid, I think it was. Yeah, something like that. There you go, get a couple of new cars. There we go. Yeah, if if I bet big, Joe, yeah, we would have been able to get a couple (laughs) of something. But but no, we we made £60. Um, (laughs) So, we yeah, had we good. also had Brookside Richie that you know won a crack in renewal of the Birmingham Cup. Um and, and he was an impressive winner too, wasn't he? He really was, and he's just sensational. If he gets through the bars, he is just 
unstoppable, isn't he? He's so, so oh, quick. Gosh, yeah. And I've I've loved Brookside Richie for a while. Um, I've put him up for all sorts of different things when I was at Hills and, and everything. I, I've always loved Brookside Richie since he hit the track pretty much. And um, yeah, it was an honour to see him uh, in the semi-finals do what he did. And then uh, obviously I've, I've caught up on all the, well, I was actually watching it, I think, um, for Perry Bar's uh, big night. And he was just superb. Nobody could land a glove on him. Indeed. Indeed. And then I think this bitch is going to be one of my favourites over the next few years. And that's Crafty Shivu who won the Empress Stakes. Oh. It was a little bit of a, a messy race, to be honest, wasn't it? Um, but she she sort of got away, got into trouble. There was a bit of trouble on the last bend, but she sort of found more and kept digging and showed another side to her ability that we haven't maybe seen in the earlier rounds when she just was away and gone. Yeah, because as well, to pick up mini bullets is massive, massive for for Crafty Chavu because Mini Bullet is a stayer, we know that, and she got in front by length and a half, couple of lengths, and for her to then pick up Mini Bullet, then ride the trouble again and still go on to win just shows how classy she is and gutted that she's been ruled out of the Oaks with a, a minor yeah. injury. Um, but we know that she'll be getting the top care and and she'll be back on the track, hopefully in the not too distant future. But she is going to be a bit of a generation, I think. Yeah, really exciting. I think it sounds like it's only a minor injury, but just yeah. the Oaks has come a little bit too soon. So we should be seeing her sooner rather than later and obviously wish her her all the best. Um, and we've got the Oaks starting um, Saturday, haven't mm -hmm. we? Which is one of my favourite competitions of the year. Best bitches going head to head. And it looks like a really strong renewal. Um, we, it's not something we can talk about later in the betting because the cards aren't out when we're recording this on a on a oh, Wednesday no. morning. But um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the to the lineup, even without Crafty Shivu um, there. So, you know, are you sending crossed. any of yours in? No, no, we're not. Lauren's having a little rest at the moment, and obviously, oh. it's a bit too short for her against the top bitches. I think. Um, you know, she obviously liked Perry Bar. Um, you know, absolute heartbreak in the um, St. Ledger semi-final when oh. she missed out by one hundredth of a second. Uh, it was really sad. But uh, hey, look, at the end of the day, Droop is clue. I mean, yeah, was, that was an unbeatable run anyway, wasn't it? So, uh, but it was nice. Would have been nice to be in the final. Um, and we're not. And um, Dee's running really well at Hove at the moment. She's running um, Thursday, which would be yesterday when this comes out in a, in an A one. <laughs> Um, so she's gone up the grades nicely since she's come back from season and, and Savannah's still in season. So, uh, yeah, none, none will be running, unfortunately. But as I said, it's a competition I love. It's definitely one of my favourites of the of the year. And it is right up there in ones that I'd love to win as an, as an owner. So, you know, maybe one day. Oh, I'm sure you'll have one one day, especially when you get all the uh, uh, little bitches as well from Lauren and Dean yeah. and Savannah and everybody else. So it's going to be great. That would um, be nice. I think we've got, and then I think we've got, I think one bitch that is lining up, correct me if I'm wrong, Danny, is, is uh, Queen Joni, who was mm. a really impressive winner of the produce stakes at, at Swindon and a, and a young bitch to follow for sure. Really exciting. Yeah, she was absolutely superb. So I am very much looking forward to seeing her again. One thing we do have to note, of course, Bocco's Crystal is out of the Oaks as well. So we've got two big guns not going to the Oaks, but Queen Joni certainly is. Any more winners we've got, Joe? There's more winners. Yeah, two more what? winners. Um, we had the East Anglian Derby, of course, you know, big uh, Cat 1 uh, at Yarmouth that takes place. And watch the limo was, um, should we say, a slightly surprising winner? Um, 
be certainly Kula be the odds. Shadow. Yeah, certainly by the odds. But I think Kulavani Shadow, of course, did have the draw to overcome as well. Um, I don't think they were thrilled with the draw, but yeah, he's been beaten fair and square by yeah. a dog who's definitely up and coming, but was certainly under the radar, I think, before this comp. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's not a dog that was on my radar for it. I have to hold my hands up, but um, yeah, I mean, is the East Anglian Derby champion? Where next? Where next? You know. So I was just so watch the limo was sort of under the radar for the competition, wasn't he? It was an open mm. race winner at, at Oxford. Um, had, had run at, at um, Kilkenny before, but um, this was very much his sort of first foray into into the big races, and he's um, he's he's won the big one. So uh, fair play. I mean, he's unexposed. He's just over two now. Um, he's a July twenty one dog. So. Um, yeah, it's it, he's he's definitely one to not be underestimated in the in future comps. I don't think he'll be as big a price when he lines up next time. That is for sure. For watch the limo, certainly a dog to pop in the kennel. The kennel on GBGB is something I've only just realised is a thing. Yes. about a month ago. Yeah, I'm no, having a you, great time. Yeah, if you don't know that, it's like a you know they have a lot of horse trackers out there. But if you sign up to the GBGB, you can put your favourite dogs in the tracker, and they will message you the night before um, to say that they're running the following day. So, well, are you, I think it's actually early early hours of the morning, isn't it, on the day of the race? But uh, yeah. yeah, really good to keep an eye on your favourite dogs, or even if you're an owner um, and you've got a few dogs and stuff, it's great just to keep track on on who's running. So, uh, yeah, that is a good feature on the GBGB website, Danny. It's amazing. I can't believe you didn't know about it. Yeah, I've been in the game for 12 years and I found out a month ago that they had a dog tracking. So I, I was always thinking, like, how do people know these things? Because I was, you know, I searched through different things. It takes me ages. Now it doesn't because they just tell me uh, on the day that it's racing and it, uh, my life has changed for the better. There you go. <laughs> my kennel. Happy days. Well, if you don't know, get to know. Indeed. And our final winner is the puppy. Yeah, we had we had a great puppy cup at, at Romford that ended last Friday. Always a good competition. We had a shock twenty to one winner in the final, Romeo Crusade. Um, who again, it was a little bit of a messy race. A, a couple of leading protagonists uh, met a little bit of trouble. The other the other dog, Romeo Cipher, was more fancied at seven to two. Mm. Um, did get bumped at the first and, and checked checked a little bit. He was coming with a strong run um, again, and and obviously had the odds on favourite, Cool of Annie Mercy. Who, who got missed the break and, and got a terrible run to and ran well to finish just three quarters of a length behind Romeo Crusade, to be fair. But uh, yeah, it was all about Crusade. So well done to the Firmingers and um, Dave Mullins. I think that was his fourth Romford Puppy Cup in a row, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's just the king of the Puppy Cup, isn't he? I think Dave Mullins, he always has a, a few darts to throw. He had two in the final. They finished first and third and it wasn't the one that I think they expected to win that came out on top, but uh, six puppies in that final that have got futures yeah and i'm sure we've got uh we've got the puppy collar at oxford coming up so i'm sure we'll see mm. a few of them uh running in running in that which starts tonight i think it does yeah i think it's well it's the trial stakes isn't it the official trial stakes but it's which still is component round one yeah yes. it's round one <laughs> <laughs> but but the trial stakes to fit within the rules. So yeah, we've got the uh, the trials tonight at um, Oxford. We'll be chatting all things Romford with Romford Ryan, uh, not Ryan Keneally. Yeah, Romford who Ryan. I thought it was Ryan Keneally, and then I didn't read the text very well when when Joe was texting me yesterday because I'm not very well. I've hopefully oh. managed to cover it, but I'm not very well, everyone. But 
hopefully by a couple of weeks when our next pod is out, I'll be fine. Fingers crossed. Because so. there's a oh, fingers well, crossed. There's those bugs going around, isn't there? And the changing the weather, as my grandma always used to say, and all that jazz. Like I never there is used a lot to going hold around. by. Yeah, yeah, you're all right. You sound great, Danny. You sound fine. You're, you're hiding it well. <laughs> yeah, well, you can see my face, so you know I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not <laughs> I'm not great. <laughs> uh, well, no comment. But moving swiftly on, speaking of Romford, we're actually sponsoring a race tomorrow night on the 7th. Um, it's the, it's the Romford uh, Greyhound Owners Association night. I hope I've said that right. RGOA, anyway. Yeah, that's the one. You can, edit, you can edit that out if not and just keep in the RGOA bit. Um, but we're sponsoring a race there. It's going to be a great night, fun for the family. Unfortunately, Danny and myself can't go to present the trophy. Um, but we're hoping to find, you know, hopefully there's a family or some kids there on the night that will pre- present the trophy on our behalf to the to the winning dog. So keep an eye out for that. Look, again, we mentioned the dogs that have just won, but we've got some great competitions now coming up. We've obviously got the Steel City Cup, which is underway now. Um, we had the, the the heats on, on Tuesday. We've got the champion stakes at Romford. We've just mentioned the puppy collar. Uh, we've got the Oaks, which you've mentioned, and the Kent Derby as well coming up. So we've got some absolute top quality cat ones taking place now. And one of the most important races coming up as well on the 17th of this month, I am running around Sheffield Greyhound Stadium in the human race. I think that's... Tell us more, Danny. Uh, well, I, I don't know where I'm going to be handicapped because it's going to be a handicap. Um, I have no idea where I start. I know where the finish line is and I'm just going to run and die at the end and need a bit of oxygen. And I've been doing loads and loads of non-training as well. So I think it's going to be a spectacle for sure. And Who uh, else is lining up? Do we know yet? Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. I'm allowed to say that I'm lining up, but okay. I can't I can't break the news. Any um, clues? Any, Any big stars? Usain Bolt. <laughs> yeah, if, if he if he turns up, I'm not running. <laughs> but uh, no, there'll be a few. There's definitely names that you know um, from the Greyhound world and from Sheffield as well. So it should be an absolute cracker. Good. Can we bet on it? I think so. I think that's the. I think the proceeds will be going to the Sheffield retired, as Great. far as I'm aware. So Danny Jackson yeah. each way. God. Is it six? Are they having six runners? Or... I think they're trying to get six, yeah. And they're putting you in the traps? <laughs> Can you imagine? Won't <laughs> <laughs> oh, fit in there. <laughs> no chance. I don't think I have to dress up either, um, which is good. So I'll be in my running gear and um, strapping everything down so I don't get two black eyes as well on the way. So <laughs> all is well in the world. Well, you've but... got two weeks to train, less than two weeks. So. I know. And I feel like death, so I can't wait for uh, training to start next week. Um, no, I'm going to try and get out this Friday. Um, I'm hoping to douse myself with Lemsips and and just man up, basically, and get a grip on... on I say man up, actually. We're better at, at dealing with illnesses than you lot are, aren't we? If you say so. <laughs> I say so in my house. It's definitely me. Uh, right, I think that's everything covered in the news, everything that's coming up, and um, I think we can just dive into the interview. So let's go and have a chat today. Great. Dave Gray, welcome along to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. 
Um, just to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why, um, not why, not why at all, and just who you are generally in the Greyhound world. Yes, obviously uh, my current official job is um, racing manager at PLR Grange Stadium. Uh, we only race uh, once a week on a Sunday currently, um, and then in my spare time I do a bit of uh, commentaries at uh, the other northeast venues at Newcastle and Sunderland. And also, like yourself, Danny, make an odd appearance on the Racing Post Ground TV show. Now, if we're harking back to when you were young, have you always been into greyhound racing? Yeah, so very uh, from a very young age, really. Um, probably back in the early 1980s, uh, that was my first introduction to dogs. Um, my dad and my uncle had a, a couple of dogs, and literally it was a couple of dogs. It wasn't like... There wasn't big owners by any stretch. Um, and it sort of stemmed from there, really. Um, the, the, the couple of dogs we had was at the old Hull Craven Park track, which is um, long since gone now. Um, but, yeah, they had a couple of dogs there. They did okay, actually. Uh, one of the, the highlights, Tutti's Fly, actually won um, Christmas Handicap there at Hull in, I think it was mid-'80s, 84 or 85, if memory serves. And, and that was it. That was probably the defining moment in 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 my introduction to grounds really uh, it just went from there uh, so we used to go down every sunday morning uh, take the dogs out for a walk um, and then it would then involve me in, in the school holidays as a, as a young lad um in my early teens going to the kennels and, and and walking the dogs and mucking out and and helping the trainers and it it just really progressed from there and i've literally been in it all my life really in in, in one guise or another so how did the career path slowly get to where you are now then from being a kennel and and helping out on a Sunday to, to becoming a you know a racing manager and a commentator then? Yeah, well, when I when I sort of went to, to, to college and university, sort of my late teens, obviously 16 through 19, um, it meant I, I wasn't able to, to do the dogs as much because I was away and, and, and not available to go. But I, I started, fell into the sort of racing office at that, at that point, so... I got to 18, I started working on the tour at the track. Um, so I did that for a little while. Um, and then there was a there was a space in the racing office and they needed someone to operate the photo finish. And obviously by that stage I was I was well into well into the grounds and um, I said yes, I'll, I'll operate the, the, the photo finish for a bit and and then said, Well, we need to enhance the experience here, the the people coming through the doors. I want someone to do do the do the race commentaries. I never had a commentator up to that point, um, and they said, "Would you give it a go?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go." I'd never done it before. Um, don't know really how to go about it. Obviously, I'd listen to people commentating on horses and and, and dogs, and I just it just went from there. And literally, I, I picked up the microphone, commentated on a race, and and that was it. And then uh, so. Obviously, operate them the photo, did the did the commentaries for the races, and then it just progressed from there. Sort of started officiating at the meetings, and and, and became a local steward when I was eighteen. When I was at, at university, um, I used to come back to the track on a on a on a Saturday night and um, work in the racing office, and um, yes, did the commentaries, helped out in the racing office, did the sort of stewarding, and it sort of just obviously everything just kept snowballing and snowballing. I get more and more involved. Uh, then I w- went on, obviously, to to leave university '99, uh, and I actually got a job in um, industry for a, a year. I used to work in an accounts office, um, and it literally lasted twelve months, and I just hated every minute of it. And um, 
at that point, a, a job come up full time in the racing office at Hull, and um, that was probably another career defining moment. Really, it was do I stick at something that I've I've gone to university for three years to train and do, or do I make a move and, and and do something what I really enjoy? What really up to that point has been a bit of a hobby or a bit of a sideline. Um, and I took the jump on, became assistant racing manager at Hull, uh, and, and and did that for a couple of years. Um, there was a lad called Lee Duffy there at that time who'd, who'd come from Sheffield. I worked under him. Um, and then that was a point where I learned quite a bit about how the racing office actually works and and, and sort of grading cards and, and what it involves sort of day-to-day running of a racing office. Um, and when Lee left, I just it was just a natural progression, stepped up to to race and manage and I was there till at Hull till about 2006 uh, when unfortunately that that sort of came to an end at the, the track in Hull and um, it was find another job and I was lucky I came up to the northeast I can't remember exactly how it come about really but I think it was on holiday a few days in in the northeast uh, with my partner and I says oh we're calling at this this track Peel or Grange it's literally just had a license for a year and I was quite intrigued to know um how it was getting on as a, a as a new as it was then NGRC license track because they converted from independent race in 2005 um and this was sort of 2000 early 2006 so I, I went up and it was um there wasn't actually racing on the day I came up and I just sort of called in knocked on the door um introduced myself so and I got the guided tour and it was, I don't know if it was that day or that week, I got offered a job and he said, do you want to come up and work as a um, assistant racing manager? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So that was uh, quite a big move, really, uh, going from Hull all the way up to, to the northeast, um, which I did in 2006. So I moved lock, stock and barrel, which was um, at that, when I was sort of that age, I thought it was quite a big move, really. But it turned out that's where I've been ever since. So um, it was it was probably worthwhile, I think. Um, and uh, when I first moved up, it was a, there was a lad called Graham Hennigan, uh, who was the racing manager. His brother, um, he had his twin brother, Robert, used to be the, the registrar at the old NGRC. So their family was steeped in sort of ground racing. And I think it was Wimbledon RM, or he certainly worked in the racing office at Wimbledon. So he was plenty experienced I think that was like Jeff McKenna my boss he he was quite keen to get somebody who knew the the, the workings of the NGRC so that when the trans did the transition from the from independent racing to NGRC that um there would be somebody at the helm to steer the ship so Graham was there a couple of years and then he he moved on and I, I just stepped up to to being racing manager so I don't know that was probably about 2008 officially I suppose um and I've been here ever since so yeah it's it's been a long old stint, I think 15, 16 years now. So, um, yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed it. And, um, it's the, the only, the only bad thing about the job is being away from the family. They're all, they're all down in Hull. Um, we get down as often as we can. It's only a couple of hours down the road, but, um, yeah, not having them around on a day to day basis is sometimes difficult. Before you tell us all about your role as a, as a racing manager, something you started off doing, which was interesting. You you said you ran the photo finish or, or were responsible for that. What does that entail exactly? Does do you literally just like it must be an automated photo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I like it's just you need somebody to operate it. So literally, you you start it so that it's set, and then there's a switch on the traps 
what starts the timer going once they open to 45 degrees, which is the, the GBGB rule. Um, and then when the dogs approach the winning line, before they get to the winning line, literally a few centimetres before they get to the winning line, there's a beam. So there's a, a, a laser, like a, effectively a laser beam across the track from one side to the other. The dogs break that beam. And once the dogs break that beam, then the camera starts rolling. So the beam's literally a few centimetres before the line. And then the, the line, and, and this is the big sort of dark secret in the industry, which isn't a dark secret really, where the, where the line is. The line is exactly where the camera is. The camera doesn't move. It's in a fixed position, and that is the winning line. And the, the image is just recorded as the dogs go forward through the camera effectively. Yeah. It's just sometimes, obviously, the line at the track that's on the actual track is is on the pierce on it, basically, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, I think we took ours up a bit ago because people started saying, oh, that's that dog's one or that. So it's it's just it's just there as a guide normally in normal circumstances. You can put it as near to the camera as you can, but it, you could never get it. You can never get it spot on. And I think that's I think a few tracks have done away with it. Now we certainly have. And some tracks just leave it down, but put in the wrong position. Some tracks have a higgledy piggledy line. So it is a guide. The, the, the line is where the camera is and never moves. Um, and people say, well, when you've got on the computer screen, the you're moving the line to suit where you want it to be. It's not. The image is fixed. The image is yeah. there on the screen. It's You're just putting the line there. And, and where you put the line, it gives you that the time. So it gives you a time what the grounds cross the line. So then you move it to the second dog. And if that's whatever it might be, two spots, then it's obviously a head and three spots is a neck. So then you just work out the relative distances from 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 the image you've got. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know the detail you see. So uh, that was good, good stuff. And then, so right, forget that. Tell us about a day in the life of a racing manager. What do you do, Dave? Yeah, to be honest, there's, there's no such thing really as a typical day in my life. I mean, the, the two things I can talk to you about is a typical day of a racing manager and, and, and my typical day. I'm I'm quite fortunate in that, or I think I'm fortunate in that. I've got a, quite an all-encompassing role at the track and that's basically because we only race once once a week. Um, so so by that, I get involved with um, a lot of other things apart from the grading, which racing managers would do and officiating. And that I get involved with track maintenance and, and preparation as well. Um, so it, every day is different, really, as far as I'm concerned. But in, in the day, a typical day in the life of a racing manager would be they would they would come into the track. Um, first of all, check any uh, any emails as as anyone would enter in the office, any messages on the answer phone. And if it's a grading day for me, then what I would do is we have what we call a track diary. So in our track diary, which is literally a, a, an A4 uh, day by page diary, we write in here all the information that's relevant to me as a, a racing manager for doing my card. So any dogs that are uh, going off the strength because they're, they're injured in season, they've been bitten in the kennels or off colour, I'll make a note of those. So as people ring up or send emails into the office and say, this dog uh, is unavailable this week because it's off colour, I'll write the dog's name, the reason why it's off. Um, it might be a case of the trainer's uh, a wedding or a, or a christening. And, and are able to come with the dogs that week. So I'll put that trainer can't come this week. So that's like my Bible for for, for putting it, putting the races together. I know at that point what dogs are available, what dogs aren't available. On the other side, we have uh, all the dogs that are rented up for trials. So a list of the dogs' names, 
that are booked in for trials on a, a weekly basis, uh, the distance over what they want to trial and, and whether that's a, a solo qualifying trial or, or even a hand slip in some instances. So that book uh, then gets opened up and I have a, a little box and in my box I've got um, cards with all the greyhounds. So I have two boxes. One box is what I call the on-box. So all the dogs that are available to grade their cards will be in that box and then they are sorted by grades. So I have um, A, A8s and A9s at the front and then A1s at the back. And then I go through that box and I'll take out all the ones that are unavailable so if it's off color i'll pull the card out and then i have what we call an off box so they're sorted alphabetically so if a dog's coming out, out not available for this week goes in the off box and conversely if something's back on the strength um because it's now available again comes out the off box and into the on box so at that point i've then got a box full of cards sorted by grade um which are available from that week and then the way I do it, and, and everybody has their own ways and different ways of doing things. I start with the, the best races on the card. So I'll start with the A1s and work back. And there's a little, little reasoning why I do it that way from A1s down, down over is that it's much easier to drop dogs and put them in lower grades than it is to go the other way. So if, you, if you've got, say, I don't know, for an example, if I have seven dogs in an A1, I put six dogs in the race, and then the seventh, the one that I think's not suitable for that race, goes in here too. So then we can progress back that way. If I started the other way and did the A9s first, you can't, if you've got a dog left over, you can't put in an A8 if it's running an A9 last time. So that's just the way uh, I do it. So I'll start, so start the A1s and grade the, grade the races. So I'll pull out all the dogs in the grade. Some grades I'll have, as I say, like A1s, I'll have seven or eight dogs if I'm lucky. Um, the middle grades, the A4s and A5s, I might have sort of three races in them. So obviously we're only racing one one meeting a week. So I, I'm not like got looking at a board of three or four hundred dogs. What um what some some racing managers might do. So once I've sort of put the car together, it then goes into the computer. We've got a system system called Race Tech, um, and the dogs then get put into the into the races. I attach to each race a grade, and then at that point. Once the dogs are all typed into the computer, you can then print anything out. So the database can produce a raft of reports. So you could just um, what we call an advanced card, what you'll have seen, which is literally just the dogs' names and the trainers' names and the grades that they're in, the races that they're in. Um, you can print a race card copy, um, which is obviously the form cards that everybody sees. And then there's a few other reports that we can pull up. Um, and one that we use quite often is what we call a, a paddock sheet by trainer. So that would show you sorted by trainer, every dog they've got at the meeting. And and that, and that the reason I say this one is because it's quite useful to a lot of racing officers. So a racing manager might print a card off, um, sorted by, uh, print it off by trainer, and then they say trainer A, who has 50 dogs on the stream, so they've got two runners on this meeting. So they might say, right, this trainer needs to get other more dogs. I will take them off and put them on another meeting. So then you start, you don't start again, but then you're looking for a dog to, to replace them two with, or you might put somebody up, put some more dogs on the card for that trainer. So that's quite a, a, an important one that that trainer's using. All the while, it's just sort of adjusting and adapting races. You might think a dog's more suited to be in an inside draw than an outside. So if you've got a couple of A5s on the card, you might think, oh, that one's in trap three in that A5. 
want to move it a bit near the inside, I'll swap it with that one in, in the race before. Or It's just fiddling around with the card. Once you've got it in the computer, the first thing is to get it in the computer and have a look at it. And then you can sort of adjust it and 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 make it suit. Uh, we don't actually have handicaps, but if you obviously quite a lot of tracks do, so it's at that point you would sort of print the race card off and and have a look and say, right, what's the handicap marks for for these dogs? And then once it's done, uh, once the card's finished and you you're happy with it, it goes to um, we send that off to a, a company called Racing and Sports, who just took over the the national form database, so they hold the form for every greyhound. Um, that goes off to them and and before you can sort of publish it, it has to be approved by them. So you might put a dog on a card, uh, for example, that is still in season. So uh, the GBGB rules say you've got to be off at least 21 days if you've got a bitch in season. Um, and at that point, the risen spots will come back and say, this dog can't run because it's not had its 21 days out of season. So you've got to change that, obviously. So they, they sort of approve the, the dogs that you've put on the card. So they'll say this dog can run or this dog can't run. And then it's just a matter of publishing it. So it goes on, we put ours on our website and it goes to various different people, other tracks, um, send it out to different press organisations, the trainers and uh, and one thing and another. Does it make it more difficult to, to grade at Peel or Grange because you only race once a week? Because if you leave a dog off the card, he's obviously not going to run for at least two weeks then. So That's right. do you that... get a lot of angry trainers and owners moaning that they're not not racing on a Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a balancing act. Sometimes we're, we're short dogs. We're, we tread a very fine line between not having enough dogs and having too many dogs for, for that exact reason. I mean, at the minute, I think we had about 70 dogs there on the, on the strength. Um, so you've got like, seven or eight not getting a run at all so again what i do is i'm looking to see what's been on the reserve list last week and making sure they are on the reserve list this week and conversely looking at the trainers so if the, if trainer is had a dog missed off last week i'll try and not miss him off one this week and we've got quite a, say we've got quite a lot of trainers so there's about 20 um 25 30 trainers every week so there's 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 plenty of trainers to juggle and and, and sort of keep happy as it were do you get moaned at a lot? Uh, yeah, quite a lot. Um, I don't like Thursday mornings. Um, they're, 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 they're normally the worst. Once the card goes, you see, the way I do it is the card goes on the the internet on a Wednesday afternoon and then the trainers can sort of stew over what, what they want to complain about and then they ring me up on a Thursday morning. So, uh, yeah, Thursdays are normally interesting. Oh, man, so you don't work uh, work elsewhere on a Thursday morning and you just field phone calls from trainers. Yeah, phone calls from trainers and, and emails and things. And <laughs> But the, I, the thing is, like, I know it, it's just part of the job. That's what I do. And I, I, I always think as long as I've got a reason for putting that dog in that race or in that trap, then, then that's the reason. Now, the trainer might not agree with me, but I've got to defend that position because at the end of the day, I th- the way I see it is, I put these races races together and I see my opinion. The trainers have their opinions. They think that dog should be in that trap or in that race. They don't get to see theirs. That's why I feel I'm quite privileged and lucky to to do the job I do because I get down. I was funny enough, I was talking to a a lad at Newcastle, one of the assistant racing and deputy racing managers there. And he said, I couldn't grade a card and not watch the races because that's that's what you do. That's part of the job. So you grade the races and you watch, see how it all pans out in front of you. And then you can you might have to make changes next week. So you might say, well, actually that dog that I've put out of track three wants to be out of track one. So next week you'll put out of track one. So that's it's it's just a, a, an evolving or evolving all the time. 
Now, when we're talking about trials, because you said, obviously, you've got the trial card and then the the graded card. What are the things you look for when you're grading maybe a pup or a new dog to the track? So, uh, two different, vastly different questions, really. Um, with a young dog, um, if it's obviously a British bred novice, you want to try and give it a decent introduction. So you want it to be able to be, a, you definitely need to be in the right trap. Now, young dogs can often not decide what trap they want to be in. So you might get dogs running all over the place, which is very difficult, but you want to get them round the track safely and, and in one piece. You don't want them to get bumped about. You want them to have a good experience. I mean, I had one two weeks ago and I was I was absolutely mortified. It, it was in its first race in track one. I thought it's got a, a real good pitch on the inside. Um, it's going to get a nice clear run and it might may or may not win. It didn't have a lot to find, um, but it got... Um, bumped at the first bend and, and stumbled and nearly went over. And I thought, well, that's not a good introduction for the dog. Um, bounced back and had a real good trial the next week, believe it or not. So that way it was good to see. But you just want to get them round in one piece. You want to get them so they've had a good experience that they can learn from it. Um, and so you've got to try and – you need to position them right on the track. That's the first thing. Um, and with pups, I, I, if the if the genuine um, novice pups, then I, I would just – put them in a race with with not a great deal to find to be honest uh with with new dogs uh new race what i call race dogs if they come over from ireland and they've got form in ireland um before i grade them i always look at the irish form um i'll always try and watch at least two or three races recent races if they have had them uh off the irish ground board west website which is really good um and, and that's to ascertain things like whereabouts to run on the track, what sort of dogs they've be, if they've run into trouble, if they've run the, the form line reads correctly, in my opinion. And then I try and translate that to what I think it might do at our track. So if it's a, I don't know, what, whatever time, if it does 29, 20, 29, 30 round cork, I'll have it in my own mind what sort of time I would expect it to do. Now, if in its qualifying trials, it's done nowhere near them times, there's two two courses of action. I can either ask for another trial and say them two trials weren't satisfactory. Or generally what happens is I'll put them somewhere halfway between. So I won't put a dog if it's done a, I don't know if it's gridded in in a 27 seconds at hours um, and it's Irish forms much better. Um, I won't put it in a, a low grade 27 second race. I'll put it in a halfway between what I think it should be doing and, and, and what it's actually done. So if I think it should be doing about 26.40 and it's been doing 27 dead, I'll go about 26.60. And then thereafter, we'll see what it does and, and then make a decision after that. But I certainly wouldn't, if, if it's Irish form looks strong, I certainly wouldn't be putting it in, in, a, in a race based on its trial form. Now, talking about the Irish model, actually, it's fascinating when you're talking about puppies as well and trying to give them a good run round. They have their unraced stakes, don't they, a lot in Ireland? And we don't seem to do that here. Yes, we have a few puppy races here and there, but would you think it's a fairer model to have loads of newcomers or do you think it's better for them to have, you know, the more experienced dogs around them? Yeah, like I think it's about, it's about being competitive. And I think, I know there's... I think with pups, you get a lot of like varying abilities. I think it's very hard to to get sort of five or six pups with similar ability at the same time, if you know what I mean. So I think, I think our model's better. I think you would, it's better to put them in with experienced dogs. 
especially where you know they're going to run. I say with pups, they could like wander out into the middle of the track from the inside or from the outside come in. Whereas if you, I think in the, like this is how I do trials as well. If you put experienced dogs where you know they're going to be, so if you've got an experienced wide runner, right, get that in six. You've got an experienced reeler that doesn't come off the rails, get it in one, and then put the pup where it wants to be. Then you know them experienced dogs are not going to do anything untoward. They're going to just do what they do. Um, but I think if you put six pups in together, I think they could be running all over the place. And I think it'd be difficult to get sort of six of similar abilities that wear all at the same time. That would be my view on it. Hi, my name's Lee. I'm trying to find a home for a fella called Cool Hill Duster or Gus to his friends. He's a March 19 black dog, so he's about four and a half years old now, and he's up with the Suffolk Greyhound Trust. He was trained by John Mullins, so ran initially at Brighton and then moved into John at Yarmouth. He's a big fella, he's 38, 39 kilos, boisterous, but incredibly easy to handle, lovely, lovely nature. There's a couple of videos of him on the Greyhound Trust Suffolk website. He's been with them since February, so he's their longest stayer because he's a big dog. And I think people are somewhat concerned about his size more than anything because his nature is wonderful. As I say, his name's Cool Hill Duster. His name is Gus uh, to his friends. You can contact the Greyhound Trust Suffolk on 07938. 802-627. I'll say that again. 07938-802-627. Or email Suffolk at greyhoundtrust.org.uk. Or go to their Facebook page where you can see videos of Gus playing with his ball out in the field. So if you can find space for him in your home, he'd be a wonderful addition to the family. So please take a look. We saw a bit of a mix-up at Swindon a few weeks ago with uh, the wrong dog put into a race and finding a lot of time. Um, a, what do you make of that incident? And B, have you had any other strange or, or weird incidents uh, that you've had to deal with as a racing manager? Uh, yeah, two, two really polar opposite uh, answers to that, I think. Um, the, the the Swindon thing, I'm, I'm very surprised at, at what's gone on there because... I've talked about this a lot to Jeff and, and and what would I have done? What would we have done? How would we have dealt with that situation? Now, I can understand a dog finding 50, 60 spots. A new dog, you've got it coming on, it's improving, it's it's just come out of trials, it's stepped forward, it's learning the track and it's, it's going to find a chunk of time or it may find a chunk of time. There's a reason there. You can say that's a new dog, it's just improving, it's found a bit of time. Now, when, when you look at that result, you declare the result, you're looking at, right, track one's beat two and three, it's done this time. The first question I say, that time's wrong, isn't it? That's my first That's my first response. That Jeff, who do, does our fourth finish, he, he gives me the first three dogs and the time. And then I say, this dog cannot do this time. So the time's wrong. For, like, that would be my first instinct. So we've got a stopwatch. So I would check my stopwatch and say, well, I've got that time as well, or a time that fits in. So... Is the timing mechanism right? Yes, because with both the hand time, 
and the computer say the same thing. Well, that dog, after 100 races, cannot find two seconds. It's impossible. You just can't, It cannot be done, especially with its recent form. Let's say if you've got a new dog, it might, might find up to one second. I've never in... in in the history of being officiating at meetings, found seeing a dog find find that much time. So the alarm bells have got to go off in that racing office before the results are even declared. Now, it doesn't automatically say it's a wrong dog, but you start working through what could it have been? Could it have been the time wrong? Have the traps opened correctly? Is the is the an issue with something out on the track? What what's gone wrong? Is it the dog? Can we go and check it is the right dog? You know what I mean? These are the sort of questions that and ex- I would expect, and Swindon are an experienced racing officer, not got, oh, as far as I know, they are, they haven't got young kids in there, they might have a, um, but they should be asking these sort of questions. And, and the results shouldn't have even been declared for me because you should have checked that dog, uh, gone down, got the microchip scanner, checked the dog, checked its earmarks, and established at that point it's the wrong dog, race void, end of message. Yes, there's a, a comeback because you've avoided a race and you've had the wrong dog running in it, but at least. For the betting public, there's some integrity there. You've gone through a due process. You've said this is not right, and and that's my first thing. And I can't believe the declared result, give the time, and then all of a sudden say oh, it's wrong. I just, I just can't. As a racing manager, I can't get my head around it. I really can't. I think they only voided it yesterday, didn't they? I mean, that was the yeah. that was the thing for me. You know, things happen. It's being investigated. I think the trainers have both been suspended now with an ongoing investigation. But what, how they didn't void it straight, you know, pretty much straight away was the perplexing thing for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, that's you've, you've got to ask these questions at the time. It's as I say, you if it if it, if a dog had found 30, 40, 50 spots, you sort of yeah, it's had a clear run. There's trouble in behind. It might have just got away and improved. You can get that. But the amount of time, it's just, it's off the scale. And any, any, I don't know, any race manager that's experienced should know that. Can I jump in with a question? Because we, Danny and I, when we were thinking of the podcast, we're going to do a jargon buster thing. Now, for those listening, you hear, you know, 10 spots, 20 spots and things like that all the time. For those that are listening and don't know, can you explain what, you know, one spot, two spots is? Yeah, well, that's all it is, is a time. So the, the time of a ground is recorded in one hundredth of a second. So um, if I say 10 spots, it's uh, 0.1 of a second. Um, or or one spot is one. One spot is one hundredth of a second. So a time will be declared, say it's 29.21. So it's 2.921. So the, the, the two is the, the tenth of a second and the one is the one hundredth of a second. And, uh, and then for distances... So we would like one spot is what we call a short head. So if a dog is beaten by uh, one hundredth of a second, that's a, a short head. If it's beaten by two two hundredths of a second, it's a head. Um, three one hundredths of a second is a neck. And then four one hundredths of a second is half a length. And from there on in, it's multiples of quarters and halves of a length. Thank you. Just jumping in there. But back to the original question, Dave, anything that you've had to deal with that's strange or unusual as a, as a racing manager yourself? Yeah, we had a bit, it's just totally off the wall, this one, I think. Uh, we had an incident earlier on in the year and um, it, it was reminded me of the, the Hove incident. I know there was a Hove incident um, with a seagull not so long back on the, on the track when the dogs were running. And we had a, a similar sort of thing. We had a, a couple of oyster catchers that had bred um, three chicks. And for two weeks, we had these oyster catchers on the, on the infield. So these chicks were growing up in the middle of the middle of the track effectively. And I remember we only raced once a week. So um, 
during the week that just wandered freely about the infield. And anyway, so we come to the Sunday and these chicks, I said to Jeff all through the way, I said, I hope these can fly these chicks by the weekend, else we're going to be in trouble here sauntering about the infield. So um, sure as eggs is eggs, the, the chicks couldn't fly by the Sunday. So we started running the trial meeting. It was, it was on like oyster watch. It really was. It was like, where are they? And they're on the infield. We're all right, run this trial. And then, oh, it's getting near the edge. And um, it was watching these little chicks toddle about in the middle anyway one one walked onto the track and I said well just gonna have to do something here Jeff because I said they're not big enough to sort of fly away or run away uh, and they're gonna get just squished so anyway we um between Jeff and and a couple of the track lads they went and sort of rounded these chicks up uh, lifted them and put them in in a safe place uh, we had a little a little box for them and put them in this little um box with some air holes and then and what have you to the till we run the meeting and then at half past two when the meeting was over went to the back to the box and put them back in the middle and just hoped that we hadn't spooked the the parents off and 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 they didn't and they come back and um by the next week there was there was flying away and um it was great really it was a bit of um bit of spring watch or whatever you want to call it um in in, in the ground racing but it was quite interesting but it was um we save the we save these chicks and the and the flow away to safety. So it was uh, yeah, it was quite interesting that. Good news. Talking commentaries now because you mentioned before that you kind of picked up a mic and just went for it. Was that a live race on? Did you just go for it one day or did you practice beforehand? I mean, I practiced when I was doing it for William Hill, but did you just go for it? Yeah, I think the I think it wasn't a long period between having to pick up the mic and sorry, knowing that I was going to pick up the mic and picking it up. So I think literally a week. And I think all I did was in them days, I think it was videotapes, VCRs. I don't know if you've heard of them, like a, a videotape <laughs> in a, in a machine. Yes. And um, yeah, I watched a few videos and, um, and just commentated to myself, really just sort of watched them and, and talk through the race and maybe did, I don't know, half a dozen or 10 races or something. And, and, and that was it. And then I just went and picked the mic and it sort of developed from there. It's not really, I've never really been taught. I've listened to to people commentate, um, say the horses and the dogs and, um, but it's just, I think it's just my own style and it's just the way I've always done it. And I think, I, I think my commentary has obviously developed over the years. I mean, it's been a long old time and, I try and um, keep it interesting and I know there's been a big debate about numbers and names and I always try and mix it up and, and if it's an important race, the more names, the better for me. As, as I know we've talked about this uh, previously, Danny. It's I think mm-hmm. it's quite important for the big races, especially to make a uh, make a presentation of them really we should we should be sort of promoting these these good dogs and naming them the space jets and, and the like and uh, they need to capture the public imagination because track one from track two doesn't capture the imagination like space jets come from last affair. So it's my commentary certainly developed over the, over the years. And I think I, I have a different style for, for different outlets as well. I think if I'm on such as racing post, I, I try and be um, talk more about what's happening in the race. Whereas I think I'm, I'm not saying I'm lazy at the track, but when I'm at PLO, I think, I'm more like going through the motions, as it were. It's it's not as um, the, the, it's not as big an audience, if you know what I mean. So I'm not like feel as though I'm under pressure to sort of try and get everything into the race. And I th- I think with me being racing manager as well, I don't want to. I d- obviously I don't want to be controversial. Is is the first thing. So I don't want to say, oh, that dog's 
um, pulled up badly at the third bend or jibbed or checked or had a look or whatever, whereas I might do that for a different outlet, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you do adapt your style, don't you, for for different jobs and, and where you are. If you are on the track, it's, um, you know, I, I was at Nottingham the other day and there was quite a big crowd. So, you know, you're more G'd up because you know that the crowd are there and, and they're a little bit more excited as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes it, it, I think I'm I'm guilty of it, really, is that you, you have got to keep a lid on it to a certain extent. Um, I think I, like for the big finals and that, I get quite excited about them. I know I did... I did one for um, Sky Sports and they actually only took one race. They just took this big, the final, it was at Newcastle. And um, someone sent me a message after the race and said, um, it was a, a mutual friend of ours, to be honest. Um, you was a bit shouty there, Dave, um, on the commentary and I couldn't really hear what you were saying. Um, and I think I'd got that built up that I was only doing this one race and it was a big final, and I was thinking, yeah, I've got to, I've got to go gung ho at this. And I'd sort of been building myself all through the meeting, and I, I just couldn't keep a lid on it. It just like exploded out this commentary, and it was, it wasn't my greatest hour, I must admit. But um, yeah, sometimes you, you've got to. Yeah, I was trying to make it a big final, and then uh, you've got to keep a lid on it as well, I suppose. Yeah, it's finding that happy medium, isn't it? Yeah, um, certainly. Is. But one of the best parts of the job, as we can both agree. Uh, now. Talking favourite greyhounds, because you mentioned, mentioned Space Jet, but we're going to say who's been kind of your favourite greyhound kind of character-wise or one that you could always put in a race and just know he's going to do or she's going to do exactly what she says or he says on the tin. And who's been your favourite greyhound just elsewhere from other tracks? Okay, I, do, I don't like to mention my own dogs, really, because um, I have to deal with them on a on a weekly basis. But there there is plenty that you can set your clock by. And as as a, as a racing manager, they're, they're a racing manager's best friend. You you can put that dog in that race and you know that dog's going to do 26.50 every single day of the week as long as it gets a clear run. And and, and that's part of the art is, is is putting them dogs in races with dogs that may improve or, or uh, and, and they can be... The, the yardstick, the, the dog that you're measuring the race by, and you know that dog's going to do that. And, and and if you've got a new improving dog in the race, they've got to do that as well, else they're not going to win the race. So that's, um, I don't like to sort of pick out exact dogs, but they, they, I've got my, I've got ones that I do know um, I can set my clock by. Elsewhere, um, favourite dogs, um, Favourite and fastest dogs. I was lucky enough to see a, a few English uh, derbies at, at Wimbledon. I was uh, fortunate enough to see Tom's the best and Rapid Ranger. So they're always go down if anybody ever asked me as, as my favourite because the, um, I mean, Rapid Ranger back to back derbies and he was a, a fantastic dog for, for Charlie and uh, Tom's the best, same. Uh, um, a real good dog and a good sire in the end as well. So they, they're, they're my two at the top of the tree. Um, ones that I've Dogs, favorite dogs that I've officiated on. I was I was thinking about this the other the, the other day. Um, at late Harry Williams funeral. Um, a, a, a true gentleman of the sport. Um, one of his dogs, Bo Brad and Mac, actually run it. That was probably I always rec recount this as being one of my favorite dogs to run at Pelog Grange because um, he was a real crack open race sprinter. Um, you probably remember him, and he he was a fantastic dog and his. Everybody says it's a big, wide-running dog. He'll never run around Peel or Grange. It's too tight. The bends are too sharp. And and he won a, a, a big four-bend competition there. And I thought, that's great. That's just that's just proven a point that 
big fast dogs can run around there and and, and that really made my day and so I recounted that to I was under Jim Kremen at, uh, at Harris funeral and it it brought back really fond memories and and that was my early days at the track and um just one other one that I've officiated on that I always like to like to bring up um a dog called um you might know Droopy's Vieri that's um that actually won won the whole derby back in the day we had one um I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was the early 2000s, but I, I stand corrected on that. Um, Paul Young brought him all the way up to Hull, brought him for a trial and that, and he went through and won the competition. And that was that was a great meeting. Uh, that was one of the best meetings at, at, at the old Craven Park ground, as it were, in Hull. And um, funny enough, we had, I was talking to, to him as well, Gary Wiltshire, who's a bookmaker you might know, um, works for Bresbet now he actually come up that day to the, the whole derby and it was a fantastic crowd and he he bet on the races we had a a great day that was still got the the front page of the um the racing post actually from that day framed um that I've it's just one of them memories that you that never leaves you sort of thing so I uh, really enjoyed that troopers Vieri say Bo Brad and Mac um yeah they they'd be my picks really Great stuff. And have you ever owned any ground yourself? Obviously, you can't at Beelor Grange. That would be a massive conflict of interest. But <laughs> you ever got involved in the ownership side of things? No, no not something I've ever really done. I say that was my first introduction. My, my, my dad and my uncle had a, a couple of dogs in the early 80s. And, uh, and that was it, really. I started working at the dogs. And, and when you're a Kenland or when you're working with dogs, you, you sort of get your favourites and you sort of uh, adopt them, as it were, I suppose. Um, and I probably did that for a few years, but um, never really officially owned any. That's that's the thing. I've got one, um, or oh, we've got one in the house who's um, quite lazy. Oh. That's um, that's my partner's dog, Molly. <laughs> so she's um, she used to, to run for her sins and... Um, She's, she looked uh, like she knew you were a love point in the camera yeah, and then um, she didn't like it. She's, um, <laughs> she doesn't do a lot. She lays down a lot through the day and uh, she enjoys going out for a walk. But she's, uh, yeah, so we have one but doesn't race. I want one. I want a lazy couch potato. <laughs> Mine's an absolute lunatic, as you've probably seen yeah. throughout the interview. I have to keep muting my mic because she barks at everything that breathes loudly <laughs> past my gate. And now she's trotting around because I've had to take her antler off her because it's so loud when she chews it that she can't have it while I'm doing it downstairs. And uh, she's gone sulking in the kitchen now because I won't give her any attention either. So I want a lazy couch potato that just sits there and doesn't do anything. Um. Now, let's get into the juicy stuff. How would you, Dave, improve greyhound racing? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm class myself as a, a ground person. I've been involved all my life. And I think we've, we've got to, we must try and get people back into the sport because if, if we don't, it's just going to gradually fade away. We need to get more owners involved. We need to get more people coming to the tracks. I think that's massively important. I think we need to race at times when people can get to the tracks. Um, we, we, we've got a product there that's that's just losing its interest for, for everybody. We've got meetings taking place at silly o'clock in the morning. We've got four dog races and three dog races. And they're no they're no good for the industry or promoting our sport. We've got to we've got to promote the the superstars of the sport. We've got channels, social media channels and, and things that are that can be used in, in a bad way and are used in a bad way, but we've got to promote these dogs through them sort of channels. We've got to get people to the tracks. We need somebody to like back in the day we used to have like 
people that would go out and do national marketing campaigns and, and get people to come to the tracks on, on special offers and one thing or another. There is some tracks that do it really well. Sheffield are, are brilliant at, at getting people to go racing. They're, they're fantastic. And, and and their sort of model should be adapted throughout the industry because I think we need to we need to get back to weekend racing, Friday nights and Saturday nights when people can go to the tracks. We need to get people at the tracks, however we might get them dragged in kicking and screaming i don't know what offers you can give them but we need to get people there because once you get people at the tracks then people see the dogs and um, the kids i know they do good stuff with the, the kids down at romford to get them on doing the presentation so they can pat the dogs and stroke the dogs and and see them close up in the flesh and that's how you get people to go out and buy dogs so they, they go to the track and then they get interested in ground race and they go and buy a dog and and that keeps the eco cycle going um, and i think we've just lost lost our direction and and i think it needs somebody with a with a commercial commercial marketing eye to to grab the sport and 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 sort of get some promotions out there and get people to the tracks and i think you've got to start there and 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 take it forward and um that would be my my biggest thing is to to get race meetings on at, at times when people can go to the tracks get people to the tracks um i think we do it i think we do a good job like people call us i know but um we do a good job at regulation and we do a good job at welfare. I think we're, we're, we're across that, but we do need to market our sport better. And I think when that's one of the, the, the big improvements that we need to make. And I think that's what everyone pretty much says um, in a nutshell when we ask that question, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no different. And I just want to drop in a question from Paul Wing, um, who asked on, on Twitter, because um, it is on the similar subject and, and you've sort of answered it. But he, he does say, do you think the sport has a future? Um, or, or do you think without change, it's on borrowed time? I, I definitely think it's on borrowed time. I think that, that people can hide behind the bookmakers paying, paying them the media rights and things, but uh, if we don't stop people dropping out of the sport and that's owners, trainers and uh, and the like, then then there won't be any dogs to, to provide that service into the bench shops. And, and we can see it's biting already with it, the number of vacant traps in, in, in races and... It's it's on a on a steady decline, and we we need to arrest that decline and 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 start sort of uh, getting people going back to the tracks. Now, on a slightly lighter note, um, have you got any advice for anyone listening who is interested in working in greyhound racing, either as a racing manager or maybe a commentator? Yeah, I mean it's very difficult to to get involved, really. I mean if. I don't think there's that many people keen on becoming racing managers. To be honest, it's a it's a it's a thankless job and. I think there's about there's only about twenty of us in the country, so there's there's not that many job opportunities for racing managers, um, and I think it's a bit of a poison challenge chalice to be honest. But um, if anybody is sort of keen out there, and I would just say get along to your local track. There's always there's always jobs working in racing offices where maybe that be operating fort finishes like I started off doing and filling out form cards or or putting results into computers. So there's I think just try and start off at start off at the bottom put the put the results in the computer learn learn the job and and if you like it then then there, there is a progression there and you was you sort of be trained up to do do different tasks and different jobs and just get a feel for it but um yeah it's um it's a tricky industry to get into i would say yeah it sounds it especially when there's only 20 tracks in the country isn't there so uh i think um what's the phrase dead man's shoes so when the racing racing manager goes, then there's a vacancy, isn't there? No, retiring. You know what I mean, Dave. <laughs> but yeah, it is though, isn't it? You know, because you we can tell that you love your job, 
And I can imagine that quite a lot of the racing managers around the country do really enjoy what they do because like you say, it is a thankless task. So if you didn't enjoy it, don't think you'd be there for that long. No, that's right. I mean, it, it, it is exactly that. And you do, you have to sort of face the wrath of the traders on, on quite a number of occasions, but it's how you deal with it. It's just dealing with people really. But like I said, at the end of the day, I get to see my opinion on, on the track and that's, that's the rewards for, 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 for the job that I do. And um, I do enjoy it. I'm, I'm a dog peasant heart and I, I certainly don't go out to, to get any dogs knocked about and stuff. That's not, that's not what any racing manager in the country will, will be doing when they're putting cars together. So there's a bit of a thankless task, but I say I, I certainly enjoy it. I've loved it through the years and um, certainly enjoy what I'm doing now as well. We've got one more question on social media. Uh, from Robert Johnson, I'll move on to like, just is the schedule next year for Pilo Grange the same Sunday, Sundays, or yeah, has anything changed? I guess you mentioned earlier there's only sort of seventy dogs on the strength, so it'll be difficult to to change anything there, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, we've we've actually got to move um, meetings. We are still racing on a Sunday, but we've got to move to the, to the night meeting or the evening meeting, um, and that'll be happening from the sort of first of Jan, and we'll be going up to to sort of twelve race meetings and. Um, Hopefully, building our pool of dogs up, and um, yeah, Sid about the the, the prize money. Obviously, people don't know the ins and outs, and it's uh, sort of a, a difficult sort of commercial subject. I can't really broach here, but what I can say is, for a certain fact, at, at Peel or Grange, we we don't receive as much uh, money from media rights as as any other track in the country. So we're at, we're at the bottom of the tree with just the one meeting, and um, hopefully. Um, if that uh, if that money we get from the media rights company goes up, then then we'll be able to increase our prize money in line with that. It's not something that we're not trying to trying to keep all the money for the stadium. We do we do want to um, give it out and share it out with the trainers and and encourage them to go out and buy more dogs. So hopefully in the the new year when we move up onto a onto a Sunday evening, that that prize money will go up as well. So uh, fingers crossed for that one. Okay, and that was the question from Robert Johnson for, for anyone listening. He asked about the prize money at the at the track and is it going to go up? So uh, consider that one answered. Brilliant, Dave. Well, that has been a fascinating insight into a racing manager's job and a commentator and uh, general, well, lord of everything at P. Law Grange, I think, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> yeah, just about everything, yeah. <laughs> thank you for giving us your time. I know that it's been um, a squeeze to get us in this week, but thank you so much. And, uh, well, I'll see you soon on Racing Post TV, I'm sure. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Cheers, Joe. Good Thanks, to see you. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks to Dave Gray for joining us this week. Absolutely fantastic interview. I found it very interesting, as I always do. And now we move on to a little bit of betting. We are joined by Ryan Sexton, a.k.a. Romford Ryan, who's going to go through the card with us. We've got the Champion Stakes starting tonight, and we've got a good card all round. Ryan, how are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, and also tell us about your Telegram as well, because, um, yeah, a few uh, listeners might find that interesting. Yeah, no problem. So uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, well, Romford Ryan, as everyone knows me on uh, on on Twitter. Um, I think that name was uh, bought to me by I think it was uh, PL and uh, Tom when I was on Graham Watch along a few times. But yeah, background is Graham racing. I think similar to everyone else um, when you go there as a kid with with your dad or your parents, um, and then it just become a meeting point for me and one of my pals when he moved uh, areas over Romford. 
And I think from there, you just get the bug, didn't you? And uh, yeah, since then. But yeah, mainly focus are on for graded, but mainly uh, all open racing as well. Um, but yeah, really good card to look forward to. Champion Stakes, um, a couple of other races on the night as well. So we'll get stuck into those. Um, but yeah, more about the um, Telegram. So I kind of post my, my, my views on Twitter quite often. So I'm not shy to stick my selections out there. And you get a few kind of comments along the way of people kind of frying their opinions up. As we know, the sport's very opinion-based. Um, and I thought to try something different, let me put a telegram out there. There's not much for dog racing at the minute. You've got loads out there for horse racing. And I started the uh, telegram, didn't think many people would join, to be honest with you, but it's taken off a little bit. It started as one little group chat. And then it kind of, the more people that joined, everything was getting lost in the chat. So we've now split it into topics where we've got a topic for each track, um, but we've got quite a good few number of judges in there now um, that's focused on particular tracks and they throw up their selections or if you've got a particular fancy at the track and you want a second opinion on it, you can put the little um, comment into that particular topic and then someone will hopefully get back to you and give you their views around a particular race. But yeah, we open topics up on special nights as well. So we had uh, one open for the um, Irish Derby final night, but it's more of a place for people to come in a community base. It's a free a free way of doing it. Everyone can get involved, have a chat for up selections, have a few opinions. Um, we've even had a few people on there asking people if they're meeting up at tracks on the night as well. So they're going to go over and, and kind of have a bit of a community base at the track as well. So, yeah, something different, but it's going well and it's took off better than I expected, to be fair. It's really good. And how many people have you got on there now? Because with the amount of alerts I get from that on my phone is actually ridiculous yeah. every day, to be honest. But... I, I think there's about 126 people in there at the minute. Um, the last time I checked, but you have people coming and, and, and going at the same time. But you can mute each each kind of topic that you've got as well. So if you're not particularly interested in a certain track, you can mute that. So there's different ways around it and how you want to kind of interact and get involved as well. So, yeah, I mean, the link's on my uh, Twitter. Um, so just go ahead, join. It's free of charge. But, yeah, just get involved. Well, we'll put all the links and everything as well in the show notes um, on this episode so you can just find them uh, there and, and click your way through and, and join the community if you so wish. Uh, right, we're going to dive into the Champion Stakes. It is the PGR Champion Stakes, of course. Heat 1 sees Trap 1, Drum Do It Jack, 2 Righty, 3 Havana Top Note, 4 Arthur Cider, 5 McGlass Brave and 6 Famous 8. So, Ryan, kick us off with a winner, please. You know, the first thing I noticed about when I was looking through the heats, I think they must have been short on wide runners because of a lot of um, seeding going on that I've seen. So in the first race, you've got McGlass Brave, which usually runs out of one and two, now seeded in, in five. So I don't know whether uh, they've asked to be seeded there and, and, and the, the, the racing managers um, accepted it, but it's opening up a lot of avenues to kind of look towards the right, wide runners if the ground is okay on the, on, on the wide on the night. We know what Rumford's like. It can favour kind of inside-outside. The track's been on fire recently as well. Um, but I kind of kept being dragged back to Havana top note. We know what 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 kind of um, he can he can do on, on the bunny. So you've got right in two. Um, I don't think that'll cause it too much uh, dramas early. Second uh, in gym crack. And then we just don't know. I need to go back and look at the vids properly to see what McGlass Brave does out of the boxes a lot more. Um, so I didn't get a chance to look at the videos completely. So I think that might give Famous 8 a little chance around the outside. But I think to kick us off with a winner, I'd have to be with Havana Top Note. Yeah, yeah it's quite a tough, tough race to start off. Um, I've, Havana Top Note did a good run, first look. 35-32, second last time. And, and obviously, you know, Famous 8 as well, a good trial, similar sort of time, 35-26. I did think Drum Do It Jack um, 
with righty outside who can break slowly has got a good chance to grab the rail and if he gets out well has definitely got a chance but I also just favoured Havana Topno again I say it all the time but it's one of those where you sort of need to see the prices really because um, you know one one of those three that I've just mentioned um, you know Drum Do It Jack Havana Topno and Famous 8 you know if one of those is a decent price as, as an outsider of those three I'd, I'd probably take a chance with but it's a, it's a tr- tricky heat to start with and I think just generally f- for this competition you know correct me if I'm wrong, but it's quite similar to Monmore. Um, you know, the six bends there, you want the dog with good early pace. It's going to get to the rail. It's quite a short run to the first bend um, and, and, you know, something that's going to see it out quite well. But I think Ryan, you know, that early pace is quite important, isn't it, in this competition? Yeah, uh, Romford's always kind of an off the front kind of track. Um, so, yeah, you do want to be up there early doors, but the, the first bend is quite crucial as well because there's a lot of trouble that could happen on the first bend, which is why I'm more looking at what was going on around the, the seeding of, of the dogs or the lack of wide runners. Because if everyone's kind of going in and cutting in at the bends, I think a couple of the genuine wide runners could have a nice uh, solo round the first and second and kick on from there. Like I said, Famous 8, they've done a decent enough trial, um, 35-26, which isn't bad at all. So if that's got no trouble around the first and, and that goes around and steals a couple of lengths, Again, with a bit of hustle and bustle in behind, that might not get caught. So, again, like you say, it's all based on prices. Um, I've not gone through and priced the card uh, myself at the moment. But when the prices do come out, if you see a couple of wide runners that have got big enough prices or they go to silly price on the exchange, it might be worth just having a couple of quid on or just touching some of your bets. Yeah, and Danny, you like a wide runner, don't you? Fancy a wide runner in this? I do. You know me so well, Joe. Yeah, I did have my eye on Famous 8 because I've, been, what, I've, I've just had a look, actually, at what my Glass Brave does and he's pretty straight out of the boxes, to be honest. He's, he swings a little bit off, but I wouldn't say that five would be perfect for him. So I think Famous Eight's just going to have an acre of room to the outside. And as long as he manages to ha- hold a handy pitch, I think he's going to go well. You know, he's been behind Bally Mac Taylor uh, back at Monmore back on the 22nd of July. Yes, he's been off since July, but as Ryan said, his trial was pleasing enough with 35-26 and you'd open, you know, you'd hope that he would only improve from there. So, yeah, famous day, I think we'll get our first wide runner in the back, hopefully. Uh, Havana top note for Ryan and drum do it jack for Joe. Right, heat 2, we've got trap 1, drive on lad, 2 hacker Carlo. Three, Pep in the Step. Four, Shambhali Chris. Five, Droopy's Google. And six, Bonville Jet. Joe, I'll come to you first. Really good race. This uh, drive on lads won his last two over tracker distance. He's not been trialed, tried over six bends that much. And to me, he's always shaped like a like a sort of, you know, a staying stay type. Um, Hacker Carlo, very interesting. September 21, obviously a finalist in the Corn Cacullin at, at Shelburne. Uh, that was out of trap six. He's in trap two here, isn't he? Uh, but he won at Nottingham on Monday, very impressively. Um, turned over an odds-on shot there. Pep in the step. I mean, what can you say? Ten runs over over track and distance, four wins in five seconds. You know, <laughs> going to be hard to keep out of the frame here. And even Shambali Chris, uh, you know, 35-14 win last time. And, he, you know, he's another one that loves the track and distance. But I think I just sort of siding with um, Hacker Carlo as, as sort of the interesting unexposed dog here. Might, might need the look, possibly. Um, but again, this is going to be price dependent. Um, you know, for sure, because there's there's quite a few who can win here. Um, so again, a little bit of a splinters in the ass job sitting on the fence, but without the prices, you know, this is a it's a tricky heat. It is a tricky heat. Uh, Ryan, where were you looking? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably add this down as one of the hardest uh, race of the night. Um, 
again, you've got Droopy's Google out in, in five, uh, run run out of one last week, but I did go back on this form a little bit and it has one out of four box before. So I don't know if I'm overly concerned about about the draw on, on the five dog, although it may edge in slightly. Um, very similar with Joe with Hacker Carlo, very unexposed over at the minute. I don't know how it's going to take to Romford. Driver and lad's been pinging out um, at, at the boxes. Um, I was over there on, on Friday on puppy final night when it, it pinged the boxes and won really, really well off the front. Um, so that could could stop Hacker Carlo getting a run. Again, I'm drawn to the outside runner. I, I backed Bonville at a bigger price on the machine last week just because it was on on the outside. On the bunny, it's a completely different dog. Or if it gets any sort of run, it'll be a different dog as well. It done a 35.09 uh, not long ago, probably about a month ago now, uh, beating I'm to Sydney um, from from off the pace. So if it does get any sort of run, I wouldn't be 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 surprised if that if that does go on and win. Um, Shane Valley Chris again. They're all dogs. If they get any sort of run, Pep in the step. If he gets any sort of run, he'll be picking up dogs left, right, centre. Um, so again, it's all probably going to be price dependent, draw dependent on on the night. Um, but again, I'm I'm kind of it's probably going to be one of the bigger prices. I think it might get missed in the market, but I think Bonville Jet at a bigger price could get a decent run um, and, and win at bigger odds. Bonville Jet then for Ryan and I was with Hacker Carlo mainly because I saw him on Monday live I was at Nottingham and I was calling him home and he absolutely routed them and I think we'd had a fair bit of rain as well and with his I even said this on on Sky Sports and said because he's run over you know the 686 over at Shelbourne he should be able to stay and stay all day um, over the 500 at Nottingham as it was getting you know a bit deeper uh, there was a lot of rain um on monday so hacker carlo for me i think he'll be fine stepping up to the 575 no problem at all and i do think he'll he'll take to the track quite well because i think you know he's he's done decent enough trials um at nottingham he's he's obviously routed them last week and uh, on monday and i'm hoping that he can go well so yeah two votes for hacker carlo and one for bonville jet in heat 2 Moving on to heat three, we've got Trap One, Candle in Monsoon, two, Crafty Galacto, three, Long Acres Nutty, four, Hollow Man, five, Holiday Rascal, and six, Ted's Dexter. Ryan. If you were Derek Knight, you'd be a bit gutted having your two in the same heat, I'm telling you, especially with what they can do. Uh, luckily, it's first three to qualify, so you might get both of them through. Um, Hollow Man, sensational split time when it won, uh, done 34.88, uh, well, 34.68 with plus 20 going. Uh, when I calculated times, but um, looking at Hollow Man, it was only a, a length and a quarter outside of the track record over the sprint trip um, on the sectional that he'd done on that night. So if he does anything like that again, it will be catch me if you can, especially with a, a bit of bustling in behind. We know Romford, what Romford's like around the first bend again. You've got Ted Dexter, um, who beat uh, Bubbly Inferno in the Mitch Millwood uh, Marathon final last week. Again, that just bulleted from the box and done the 23.73 on the first lap, but they gave that a plus 40. Um, again, with the with the kind of going of the track, I'd say take it with a pinch of salt and kind of work out your own going. They had plus 40 for the Mitch Millwood Marathon and plus 20 for the Puppy Cup final less than 15 minutes after. So even if you kind of doubled that, the, the calculator that they've done, if you double that up, it's still not going to be the same because it's 750, not 800 metres. So I don't know where they're getting their goings from. So I would say kind of go back, have a look at the calculated times and kind of work it off yourself if, you, if that's how much you're getting into depth with the form and, and looking into to what you're doing. I think uh, Hollow Man off the front, I think, just catch me if you can. It's going to be a typical Rumford type, that one. I, I can't get away from it. I don't know if it's going to be a short enough price uh, based on who you've got him in with. Um, but yeah, Hollow Man off the front for me with probably Candle in Monsoon or Ted's Dexter to finish second as a forecast. Oh, cheeky forecast there from Ryan. Joe? Yeah, just not much to add to to what Ryan's just said, really. Obviously, you know, Candle in Monsoon and Hollow Man both did a 
34.88 calculated. You know, Hollow Man looks a dog out of the top draw. He's six from seven over in Britain. You know, and the other one, he was he finished second, as Ryan said, that 30-20 split last time. I mean, if he replicates that or anything near that, you know, he's going to be very hard to beat. Candlin Monsoon does have a nice draw in one ear. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think you probably have to go with, with Hollow Man, who's, who's almost certain to lead. And then the others have got to catch catch him. And that makes it three votes for Hollow Man for Derek Knight because he's just a winning machine at the moment since he came over here and he's won from all different boxes as well. So not concerned about the draw. It's just a, you know, he hits the the ground running. He hits the sand running, doesn't he, when he comes out of the boxes. So, yeah, Hollow Man, three votes and three solid votes at that. Heat four, we go Trap One, Burroughs, Sapphire, two, Mini Bullet, three, Romeo, Top Gun, four, King Ezra, five, Last Jedi, and six, Ninja, Kerry. Joe. Well, Mini Bullet loves it here. She's, um, she's what, eight from 15, I think, at, at Romford. Um, and if she gets out and, and gone, you know, she'll be very hard to beat. But I've just side in with Romeo, Top Gun, I think, you know, if he gets a clear run, he's a sub 35 second dog over this trip at, at Romford. Um, and, you know, that that should be good enough to win this heat. Um, so I'm just going to go with, with Romeo, Top Gun in this one. Short and sweet. OK, Romeo, Top Gun, Ryan. Yeah, I was looking at, Potentially, well, I was I was kind of I've narrowed it down to three dogs in the race. So the one dog, Boris Sapphire, last week that was um, Conu Barry. So um, people aren't looking and they're just looking on the kind of racing post app. They might not know there was a name change there. So that run out of the five box last week, um, Conoff Barry, sorry. Um, so that's just a name change on that one. So you'll be going back on the form on that dog. Um, Romeo Top Gun, just coming back into action after um, having to withdraw in the semi-final of the um, uh, Grand Derby uh, with a hock injury. So... I wouldn't be too concerned because he'd done a 29-12 after coming back uh, around Toaster, which is a flying time as well. Although fitness might tell a little bit. So I don't know. That was the only thing that was putting me off slightly. He's only had three runs back, including uh, the trial that he did around um, Central Park. Um, that would have been last week sometime. So I don't know if um, the, the kind of testing of the, um, the fitness might come into it. So on that, you would kind of be looking to the mini bullet on the inside to maybe pick it up if it does get off the front Romeo Top Gun. But again, looking out to Ninja Kerry, Derby finalist, uh, can't kind of rule him out on the outside again. Um, there was a couple of trap six runners that I was looking at around the outside just to keep myself out of trouble and kind of just plug on uh, whether they win or whether they kind of qualify. Um, not too sure, but again, it's all price dependent. If I start seeing some of these dogs going to silly prices on the exchange, and I would be throwing buttons at it maybe for a win, or I do kind of get involved on the place market as well at Romford on a Friday night because they push out some dogs to some silly prices. But on the betting, I think I'll be Millie Bullet to, to ping out uh, clear to one because that didn't do a great split last time anyway. And I think if Free Dog does lead, Millie Bullet might be able to just pick it up on, on the way on. So Mini Bullet is the one for Ryan. It is Romeo Top Gun for Joe. I did have slight reservations purely because he is, you know, coming back from injury and sometimes they do just need a few more races to get going again. But... Tricky to look away from Romeo Top Gun. I'd be going with Ninja Carry to qualify because that's what he is absolutely sensational at. He loves qualifying for big competitions and just sneaking through, sneaking through, sneaking through and running his absolute heart out every single week. So Ninja Carry, I would say definitely have him in your tricasts. Um, Mini Bullet. I was surprised Crafty Chavu caught her actually um, in the Emperor Stakes because she was away and gone down the back and then... Crafty Chavu, that just shows what a top-class dog she's going to be because she she's picked up Mini Bullet, who we know stays six bends, no problem at all. And um, if she gets away, I think she's going to be the one to beat. So Mini Bullet would be for me, and I'd have Ninja Kerry um, 
you know, in your forecast, tricast um, positions as well, because he just loves qualifying. Next heat, we've got the fifth of the uh, champion stakes. Seas Trap 1, Glide Away Hugo, 2, YI Man, 3, I Am's a Sydney, 4, Fabulous Bling, 5, Warzone Tom, and 6, Bedrock Wilma. Ryan, I'll come to you first. I couldn't believe YI Man got picked up last week, that's for sure. I was on. Um, and to see it get picked up by Fabulous Bling as well, I'm not saying that, that kind of he he isn't uh, she is, sorry she isn't the, the greatest dog, um, but I think it still scars me. I backed her in an S one about I think probably a month and a half ago. Got on a hundred to thirty, got backed into four to seven, and got picked up after leading. And then on a Friday night, goes and runs an absolute corker and picks up Wire Man on the running. So I think probably that's why <laughs> that's why I'm not too keen on that one. But again, tough race. Um, Wire Man done everything right last week and still got picked up. So you've got to kind of question the stamina slightly there. Although it's a brilliant time, so. If he does do it again, you probably could see him last in the trip out. You've got Warzone Tom in there, the old veteran now. Um, I'm assuming that probably this will be his last stint and maybe his last comp before they might think about retiring him. But track record holder, um, 34-55, you can never rule him out. Um, Bedrock Wilmer, first um, step up in trip last week, cracked out and done another great time off the front. And then you've got um, Iams of Sydney uh, coming back to um, Bromford as well. Tough race, um, but I kept being drawn back to Warzone Tom. I know he's a veteran. I know he's um, he's he's kicking on a bit now, but he's been mixing it with the big boys um, and girls in the Birmingham Cup at Perry Bar not long ago. Um, I think if he gets off the front, um, Fabulous Bling shouldn't be giving it too much trouble early doors. And if it does, Fabulous Bling will probably be moving left slightly anyway. Um, so I think Warzone Tom straight stays straight up to the bend um, and, and go around and hopefully... If it does turn second to something, I'd probably see him picking it, picking them up as well. So I'm going to go Warzone Tom, hopefully get a nice price about it. Um, and I'll probably go with Fabulous Bling for the forecast as well. Another forecast here yeah. with Warzone Tom and Fabulous Bling. Well, everybody knows I love Warzone Tom. So simple for me, Joe. I'm glad you went to Ryan first on this one because I thought this was the toughest heat of the night. Um, and it's a no-bet race for me. Um, I, I mean, you know, any one of these could win it. It could be a little bit of trouble. If I was pushed, I'd probably agree with, with Warzone Tom, but I just, you know, not not strong enough because it's it's a really uh it's a really tight race. So I'm just gonna sit sit out and watch. And watch Warzone Tom beat Fabulous Bling. That's what we're gonna watch on Friday night or tonight, should I say. Uh, the final heat. C's Trap 1, Savannah Lioness, 2, Sudden Spike, 3, Balanty No-Show, 4, Fabulous Sonique, 5, Gutsy Jet, and 6, Hopes Woof Woof. Joe, get off the fence. Uh, I will get <laughs> off the fence, but again, it's it's pretty tough. I just sided with Balanty No-Show here. You know, obviously, staple over four bends at, at Romford, but but stepped up to the 575 trip last week um, and was a really encouraging run. It was a 13-37 split. Which is, which is very good going, you know, 35-19, excellent time. Anything near that 35 mark is good and anything below it is, is excellent. Um, so I just I just sided with Ballantino Show here. Okay, Ballantino Show for Joe. Ryan? Yeah, I can see why why Joe's gone gone with Ballantino Show, but um, to be fair, I was dying for it to step up in trip after um, numerous occasions over the 400, kind of slow away, picking them up off the last bend, and he weren't picking up kind of just your average dogs. He was picking up some really nice dogs off the front as well. Um, I just don't think it's going to get that kind of um, that bullet from the from the boxes again. I thought that was a bit of a freak start. Um, I actually backed him last week. So when he did pop out, I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that he was probably four or five clear going into like the first and second bend. I'd, I'd say this is probably one of the weaker heats, not to kind of 
go against any kind of connections or, or, or owners of the, of the dogs, but it's probably one of the weaker heats on the night. Um, so I think the strongest dog in a weaker heat led me to gutsy jet on the outside. I think not been trapping out uh, well lately, but I think if he gets any sort of break of what he can do, um, he'll, he'll lead up and he won't get caught. Um, and, and he'll keep pulling off the front as well. Cause he gets his five, seven, five. Nice. Um, even when Havana top note, who we've um, already addressed in uh, one of the previous heats, um, he trapped in front of him, um, Havana top note kept coming to him on the bends, but around the last bend he pulled away from Havana top note, so it wasn't it wasn't overly close in the end. So yeah, gutsy jet for me in, in the five box. Gutsy jet for Ryan and then I'm actually going to take a bit of a flyer on the puppy uh, trap one here, Savannah Lioness, because from what we've seen over at Henlow, she's won really, really comfortably over there, 550. She won well on her first go here over the 575 uh, just last week and she beat Team News by a couple of lengths. She popped out, she made most of the running. She had a bit of a battle on her paws at one point, but she pulled away from them. And I do think she's a bitch going places. She's a daughter of Grangeview 10 out of Mystical Luna, really good pedigree. And I think Savannah Lioness could be the fly in the ointment in the final champion stakes heat of the night tonight. Now, we do have a Category 2 competition as well on the evening, the Coral Romford Standard Trophy, where there's six heats there. And I wondered, Ryan, if you'd seen any that had, you know, popped off the page. Yeah, I had a, I had a brief look at it. Um, so in the in the second heat, um, which would be the 628 race, um, Aero Convy. Um, went off a bigger price last week. Um, Hope Sharky got off the front um, and, and picked it off down the back straight and kicked on around the last uh, two bends and won, won really well in a time of um, 23.67. Again, they gave it a plus 20 go in. I probably wouldn't have given it that much myself. So 23.87 on, on, on the times there. But I think if that gets any sort of break against the, the, these lot here, um, I, I reckon it just wins. And pretty much, I'd say all five of the other dogs are front runners anyway. So if it does get there or thereabouts or sits in behind either one of them, I reckon it'll pick it off um, unless there's a bit of hustle and bustle around the first and, and laid back Paxi kind of gets to fly around the inside. Um, but I'll definitely be um, taking a, an interest in Aero Convy. Aero Convy in the second heat then. That's the 6.28 for the Coral Romford Standard Trophy. Any others at all, Ryan? Yeah, we've got the uh, 7.36, so that's heat six. Um, Stormy News uh, in the four box. Um, so been, uh, that won the um, gym crack um, at Kinsley um, not long ago. Uh, it's been for a couple of sprints, um, but I think Romford would be a perfect trip for it, perfect track. I reckon uh, just break and make all um, over the trip. Okay, and Stormy News then in the 7.36. So a, a cheeky double in the uh, Coral Romford Standard Trophy in Heat 2, Aero Convy, Trap 5, and in Heat 6, the 7.36, Trap 4, Stormy News. It's going to be a sensational night tonight, so uh, hopefully we've guided you in the way of a couple of winners, maybe a couple of forecasts, maybe even a tricast or two. We shall see, but it's going to be absolutely superb. And Ryan, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, mate. Hopefully no have you back soon. Now, if you have enjoyed the episode, make sure you like, subscribe, um, do all that. Leave us a review if you fancy as well. This is the Gone to the Dogs podcast and Joe and I are thrilled to have you listen. See you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, Follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V. Jackson. Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voiceover by Katie Harvey.